Just open up to 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings 4. So what we've been doing on these Sunday nights is we've been talking about ways in which we engage with God. And so we've, we just are using these various scriptures, mostly Old Testament narratives, uh, to illustrate ways that we connect, our lives connect with God. Because ultimately, what I hope comes out of these Sunday nights together is that we have a real understanding of uh, the knowability of our God, that we can know God. You can know Him. You can know Him the way that you uh, know people in your life. You, you, you know, I, I feel like uh, that, that we really need to, to understand that, that God's called us to be in relationship with Him. And He's, he's not a being. He's not a thing. He's, he's a person. And He's knowable. And each of these weeks, we're talking about just ways that simple, practical things that you can take and understand and apply to your life. And there are ways that you can connect to God. And when you start putting these things together, what you find is that suddenly God becomes more than just something that you do on Sunday mornings or some book that you read uh, so that you are, you know, accomplishing some goal or whatever the case may be, but that you know, I appreciated what Ashley said this morning, that we, me and God, we went here and we went, you know, that's what I'm talking about. So let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time of study tonight. Father, we thank you for your word and what a glorious, precious gift it is to us. And Father, we want to receive it tonight with gladness because it is perfect and true and wonderful and without spot or error. And Lord God, it is intended for us. You've given it as a gift So we receive it tonight. We say thank you, Lord, for being good to us and giving us your word. And now if you'll give us ears to hear and, Lord, work in our hearts that we might just receive it. Father God, will you speak to us and and show us tonight uh, some amazing truths about you that we might engage with you, Father. And we'll be grateful and give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Kings 4. Now this is a... This is an interesting passage of Scripture, Um, not just the one we'll look at, but this whole chapter. Um, If you really want to wrestle, then you just uh, deal with the the section that's after the section we have, because originally I was going to do that, and I just, it's a a three-hour sermon, I promise you. So we're not going to, I mean, it's a tough one. So you go home and read it and figure it out, and then come explain it to me, and I'll be very grateful that you did. Let's look at 2 Kings 4, beginning in verse 1. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. And the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So Elisha said to her, Well, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in this house? And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Then he said, go and borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons. Then pour, pour it out into these vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him and she shut the door behind her and her two sons and brought the vessels to her and she poured it out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Then she came and told the man of God. And he said, go and sell the oil and pay your debt. And you and your sons live on the rest. Now, sounds a little familiar because it could sound like the widow at Zarephath. But that was Elijah. This is Elisha. So it's a widow. And the issue is oil. But there's some amazing truths that we can pull out of this that will sort of teach us about how to connect with God in the midst of our circumstances. And in, in other words, um, I want you to think about a situation maybe where I find myself in these all the time. I don't know, maybe I'm alone or maybe this happens to you, but I'll be somewhere and then this awkward moment Someone is looking at me and they I can tell that they're looking at me like with that I know you look. But I don't know them. I mean I I they maybe they look familiar, but that's all I know. But 
at some point, doesn't almost everyone look familiar? And so I just wave and say hello to everyone. So there, but then there's that moment where they come up to you and they're like, Hey, how are you? And you're like, good. How are you? And you're just trying to sort all this out, trying to get a clue here. Just give me a clue, anything, you know, drop me a a little nugget of information so I can connect the dots and figure out who I'm talking to. And, uh, you know, I, I, sometimes I think that people interact with God that way, that, you know, they, they come to church and they're around God and, you know, they sort of feel like they know God. But really, if they were face to face, it would sort of be awkward and they really wouldn't know what to say or do. And, you know, they're just not really sure, you know, do you know me? Do I know you? What do you know? You know how it's, it wouldn't be like two old friends embracing and just automatically knowing uh, who one another is. And that's a shame. And I, and I. I want to remind you, in Isaiah 55, the scripture says uh, about the Lord, he says that my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways. Now, the Lord's different than we are. And I think sometimes that's one of the problems we have with engaging with him, is that we, we realize that he's different. And so because he doesn't do things the way we would think they ought to be done, uh, we tend to, you know, come to our own conclusions or get frustrated or it's, it tends to, to make a, a division sometimes. It tends to hinder our growth or our relationship or our, our walk with God. And I just want you to, to, before we dive into this passage, I want you to think about the reality that, you know, the only way possible to, to really know what God's ways are is to know God. And even when you know God, in knowing God, you would have to know that His ways aren't our ways. And so you, a person who knows God responds to circumstances in a very different way than a person who doesn't know God. And if you don't think that's true, then you come with me to uh, uh, a funeral where half the family doesn't know God and watch the difference between one half and the other half because it is astonishing. The difference. And so, I guess the first question I would ask is Could you tonight trust God if there was absolutely no evidence of His presence in your life? In other words, if your circumstances changed such that it felt like you were careening off. A cliff, you, you, the wheels come off of your life, whatever that might look like for you. And there's no evidence, there's no physical evidence of God being in your life. Can you trust Him? I mean, I think that's a question you need to wrestle with, and here's why. Because I'm about to tell you a story about a widow. And in the very first verse of Second Kings 4, the Scripture says that she is a widow... Of a prophet, in other words, a, 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 a like a seminary student, like someone who's training to be in the ministry, so to speak. He's he's one of the sons of the prophet, and so he's he's a man of God, and he's he's preparing or apprenticing himself to be, you know, used greatly by God, and then he dies. And so, look at the situation she finds herself in now. A little context: what's going on uh, right now? In Second Kings chapter four, Ahab is still the king. You know Ahab, the really fantastic, wonderful guy who has a really fantastic, wonderful wife named Jezebel. Ahab is horrible, and he and he is persecuting and killing the prophets of God, and they are instituting Baal worship, and so there's all this idolatrous worship, and so it's probably one of the worst times in all the Old Testament to be a prophet of God. So this. So things aren't going real swell for this family. You can tell just by the first couple of verses. I mean, in other words, even before he died, they were already clearly in great poverty, were they not? Things were going south. They were going wrong. It was just bad. And so she finds herself in this horrible situation, and she comes to Elisha, and she's 
asking for help. And the point I want you to see is that why is everything in her life going so poorly? I mean, what has she done to deserve that? But the, the tendency for us is to look around and think that, well, you know, God, are you punishing me? Why does everything seem to be going wrong? I mean, you know, I've, here I'm, I'm, I'm doing this and I'm doing that and I'm doing it. So don't I deserve for you to be good to me? Does that sound familiar? Isn't, don't I? Because what we're really saying is, aren't I earning your favor by what I'm doing? But that's what we think. I know it, it, I know it sounds horrible to you right now, but that's what we think. We think that God ought to do good things to us because we're doing good things. That's what we think. Now, what, what happened here? I mean, I don't know all the details, but I'm just telling you, you can tell enough to know that this lady loves the Lord. Her husband loved the Lord. And she is in a jam of epic proportions. So, I mean, it's Super Bowl Sunday, right? So either you just could care less about that, so therefore it's Sunday nights so a year in church, or God has impacted your life in such a way that you really wouldn't care what else was going on. If you had an opportunity to go to church and to hear God's Word and to sing praises unto Him, that's what you'd rather do than anything else in the world. Or maybe you're here and you're miserable and wishing I would hurry up and shut up so you can get out of here because your wife made you come. I don't know. But here's what I do know. I do know that if we were in China right now and we said, we said, you know what? In America, when this big ball game comes on TV, most people don't go to church. They wouldn't even know how to process that. They wouldn't even... They, their first thought would be, well, then they're not Christians. That's their first thought. Because they have to risk their life every day just to walk with the Lord. But we live in a context that a football game challenges church. Now, you just got to, you really got to just embrace this for a minute. Because here's the thing. The whole discussion is ridiculous, period. It's just all ridiculous. Because you're having to have the discussion, which is just ridiculous. In other words, if you're here, but you wish you weren't here, then you shouldn't be here anyway. You see, if you're here and then you and you suddenly in your heart feel grumbly about the people who aren't here, then you got the whole, you're missing the whole point. The whole point is missed. The only thing that matters is where would you rather be more than any other place? That's really the only thing that matters. It doesn't really matter what's going on, when it's going. It doesn't matter. The point is, if you have an opportunity to be with God's people and to hear His Word preached and to sing praises under His name, what else matters? Right? I mean, what matters? But you see, that's not where we live. But look at this lady's life. It is a mess. And she's not a, a bad person. And so the first thing that I think this text declares to us just before you even read anything, uh, read into anything, is just that we're all going to, at some point in our life, we all are going to face desperate times. I think that to some degree, we're all going to find ourselves in a desperate situation. And I think many of us will find ourselves in very difficult situations. And we ought not be surprised by that. So it says a certain woman, one of the wives of the sons of the prophet, she cried out to Elisha. See, she knew what to do. She wasn't dismayed. She wasn't sitting there looking up at the sky saying, God, what happened? Why aren't you? She, I'm not saying she wasn't wrestling, but I'm saying this. She knew where to turn. She knew what she took action. She went to the man of God and said, hey, listen. 
My husband is dead. He, he He was a servant. You know that he loved the Lord. And now the creditors are coming. Here's my situation. They're coming to take my sons away to be slaves. I mean, this isn't just a little problem. She is in a crisis mode. So you got to first settle your heart on God's ways aren't our ways. Good, godly, wonderful people fall apart every day. Their circumstances completely fall apart. Completely. And it's not because of anything they've done. It's just because God's ways aren't our ways. It's just because that's just the way it works. That's just part of life in a, in a fallen world. That's just the way it goes. That the fullness of salvation is not cashed in until glorification, until heaven. They said you're never going to receive the fullness of, of being a co-heir with Christ on this earth. It's not how it works. And so maybe you'll have good days. And not too many bad days. Or maybe you're going to have a whole bunch of bad days and not too many good days. I don't really know. But I know this. There's going to be bad days mixed in there. That's just the way it's going to go. And really bad days. And so she, she's struggling. And our tendency is to just immediately look around and think God's just left us. He's distant. He's, he's far. But, but think about what His Word teaches us about that feeling. The, the Scripture says in Psalm 34, The Lord is near those who have a broken heart, and He saves such as have a contrite spirit. Isn't it strange that what, what causes our heart to feel like God is the furthest from us is what actually draws Him near to us? Isn't it? You see, I just want you to see in this, in this passage of Scripture the, the very unique way that God does things it, that is so unlike the way we would do it. But if we just read through and just pass on, you miss it. That there are so many things here that just stop me in my tracks and go, I think, Lord, that's just so wonderful about you. Because I'm going to need that. You know, maybe not today. But maybe tomorrow. Maybe the next day. Maybe I'm headed for the, the most tragic week of my life this week. I don't know. I don't want it. But if it comes, the question is, if there's no visible sign of God's presence in your life, will you trust Him? So look at what happens. Look at how God works in, in our desperate need and, and what He uses in our desperate need. She says, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor is coming to take my sons to be his slaves. So she cries out. She knows to cry out to God. She's honest about her situation. Now, the Scripture says in Psalm 145, The Lord is near to all those who call upon Him, and to all who call upon Him, how? In truth. Notice how she perfectly applies Scripture. Notice how how we have a tendency not to cry out to the Lord until we've cried out to everything else and we're, we don't have anywhere else to turn. And then how oftentimes when we do cry out, we don't cry out in truth. In other words, we try to... You know, we, we would go to the, the, we would go to, we would go to people in our Sunday school class, or we would go to our pastor, or we'd go to one of our pastors at the church, or we'd go to an elder, or to a deacon, and we would tell them we're having a hard time, but you hold back certain details because you're embarrassed. You don't want to give all the de- you know, you're, you're ashamed, but my question is, are you desperate? See, this is a sign of desperation. Because at some point, it's like, you know what? Here I am. I'm an open book. But boy, it takes us a while to get there, doesn't it? Well, we can, we can put the face on for a long time. And then we slowly start cracking. And before we finally call upon the Lord in truth. In truth. Transparency and openness. You see, these are real struggles. These are real doubts. These are real fear, real suffering. These aren't like make-believe fairy tales. These are people. Just like me and you. Some of you in here are widows. This lady is just... Can you imagine in this culture 
All she has is two sons, and they're about to be taken. I mean, she is literally, she's, they're all about to starve to death now. But on top of all that, she's about to be alone and starving to death. And so she cries out. Now, now what does God do? I mean, okay, so, so we can, we can, we can look at people's lives in scripture who, who it seemed like God wasn't there. We could talk about Joseph. We could talk about Moses. We could go through the scripture. We could talk about people who, you know, it looked like their, you know, their life was a complete train wreck and it was never, and then all of a sudden God, you know, was there all along. But what, what does he do? Look at verse two. So Elijah said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Now, it's interesting to me that they're even having this conversation. What difference does any of this make? Do, have, you, have you read through the miracles of Elijah? I mean, Elijah is pretty much the miracle worker of the Old Testament. Then Elisha comes along and he gets a double portion. And he's having a conversation with her about what do you have in the house? That seems like irrelevant information to me. But what does God, why does God do that? Because what does God always use in our moments of desperation? He uses what we already have. That's what he does. People who go running off to other places when trying to figure out how they're going to uh, fix their problem in desperation... Miss it. Look, she's already... Watch what happens. I mean, what is the testimony of Scripture? John chapter 21. The disciples are discouraged and they're tired. Jesus says, children, do you have any food? They answer him, no. He says to them, well, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Now, and we just read that and go, yeah, I've heard that a thousand times, but stop and just go, hold on a second. Why? Where are they? They're sitting on a boat. What do they have? A net. Jesus says, do you have any food? Instantaneously, he could have made happy meals rain down out of the sky. I mean, what's the, why use the net? Why the fish? What's the, because that's the context that they're in. What's he do for you? He's going to use the context that you're in. He's got, you know why? Because prior to your life becoming a disaster, before the doctor ever called and gave you the news and the diagnosis, before you ever lost your job, before any of that ever happened, God put certain people and certain things in certain areas of your life. He shored things up because He knew all this was coming. And yes, He could have stopped all of it from happening, but He didn't. And so He just set it all up for you and so that when you got there, guess what? miraculously, he's got the pieces that he wants to use in your life right there. And maybe it was 10 years ago, but he was working in the details. You, What you needed wasn't some faraway thing that you'd never heard of or see. It was right there. That's exactly how it works every time. And he's not limited by our lack of resources. So when, when, when he feeds 5,000 people, Again, doesn't it seem a bit irrelevant that the God of the universe, He has all the power in the universe at His fingertips. He's got 5,000 men and a whole bunch of people that are hungry. And He says, now, what do y'all got? What kind of question is that? Who cares? Just snap your fingers and we're all at, at Outback right now. I mean, you don't, you don't need loaves and fishes. But that's what he uses because they had it. You see, whatever they have, they bring and then he what? Breaks that in right there in front. He doesn't. He says, bring it to me. They bring it to him and then he breaks it and it begins to multiply. Does that not sound like this? Oh, what do you have? I have a jar of oil. Okay, then bring me a whole bunch of other vessels. So that you see right there what you have. That's what God's going to do. I mean, it's David standing there before Goliath. 
And what is the wisdom of the world? What is going on five seconds before he faces off to Goliath? Well, Saul is trying to put this goofy armor on him because, you know, you're going into battle. So here's the best armor the world has to... But that's not what he has. That's not what... And what does he kill Goliath with? The What he brought to the table, what was in his pocket. It wouldn't have mattered if it was a slingshot or a toothpick. It would have still killed him just as dead because that's what God uses. But when we start trying to put on all these other things or use all the... No. God doesn't need that. He says, what do you have? Because I've been working in your life long before you knew all this stuff was going on. I've been working. I've been working. I've got this handle. You see? Don't, don't you see that, that, and, and listen, it's not always obvious. It's not. Because it's not obvious to her. I mean, yes, we can look back. I mean, we can look over there at Miss Louise and we can say, you know, you can see God. God, before she got injured, God has someone to take care of her. You see, Debbie's there. God knows that. God's made provision for that. You can see that. And there she is. And so she cares for her mom. You see that with, with people in our congregation. You see that God has their family around. You see what I'm saying? It's there. Their people are there to care for, to, to fill in the gap, to make do. And then when there's not obvious, then God uses what's there. But it's not obvious. But He uses He uses people in the church that you necessarily don't even know the person or the circumstance and situation. Suddenly suddenly there's people in the church that are that have been around like you've sat twenty feet from them for the last couple of years. You didn't know their name. You didn't know anything about them and suddenly your world falls apart and boom, they're in your life and they're walking with you through this and they're carrying you and being a blessing to you. And where they were there. Who did that? God. So what I'm saying is tonight, maybe, rather than be all worried about what calamity might be awaiting you in the future, I think it would be far more positive to meditate on the fact that maybe sitting in this room with you tonight is part of the way God is going to walk you through that circumstance and situation. And you may not even know Him. And we see it over and over and over and over again. Someone comes, they join the church. They think, if you ask them, they say, well, somebody told me about this church. I came and joined it and because I love it here. And, you know, everything's good. Six months later, devastation hits their life. And suddenly, their whole perspective changes. They begin to see how God put them in a place where they would have these pieces there to to help them to care for them right there. But they didn't know that until that's how God works. Christians are so quick to... You know, start running off to find our solution. As if the sovereign God of the universe, He missed that detail. First place you look is right around you. That's the first place you look. Because that's where God's working. So what do you have? Well, you have a church. You you have one of these. You see, David showed up to battle with a slingshot. You got a sword. Right there. You got, you got a Sunday school class. You got a, well, you see, don't, don't you know that part of, part of just the, 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 the shepherd in me that is constantly talking to people and constantly saying, listen, are you in a Sunday school class? Well, you know, I, and you see, the problem is, is that they think that I'm, you know, and sometimes I ask people, I say, why do you think that I think it's so important for you to be in a, in a, in a small group Bible study? Did you think that's just my job? You think that, you know, like I get bonus points for how many people? I mean, no. 
I know that life is hard. And I know that right now you can't see this, but what you need to do is you need to be in a group of people who know you. And you need to know them. Because you may be the answer to someone else's calamity, and they may be the answer to your calamity, but you need to be a part of that. You need to be in a position so that you've, you, you are taking steps to prepare yourself for God to use you. Do you see? That's what part of knowing God. So the third thing I just think that just jumps off the pages here is that how God's rescue comes. Look at verse 3. Look at how it, it comes. Then he said, now go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels, and do not gather just a few. I mean, that statement right there is priceless. I mean, I have just meditated on that over and over and over. Don't just gather a few. That tells me so much about God right there. But I'll get to that in a minute. Verse 4. And when you have to come in, uh, you shut the door behind you and your sons, and you pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him, she shut the door behind her and her sons, who brought the vessels into her, and she poured it out. Now, how does God's rescue come? Through obedience. She does exactly what God said to do. Now, here's again the next problem. The next problem is is that half the time, people are running around like a chicken with their head cut off when all of a sudden life takes a turn that they didn't expect or don't know how to deal with. And they're running around going, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And then they come, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, if you read the Bible, you would know what to do. Because the Scripture tells you exactly what to do in this situation. But I don't say that. I just say lovingly, well, let's look at Scripture and see what the Scripture says. But, you know, you could, we could save ourselves a whole lot of headaches if we actually knew what the Scripture said so that we knew. In other words, she did exactly what God directed her to do. Now, I mean, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I'm thinking... I think that's a pretty good policy. But if you don't know what God says to do, how in the world are you going to be obedient? Now, it's interesting also that the same God who makes oil appear out of thin air has her run around and get a bunch of empty vessels. Oh, so you can't make pots, just oil. Do you think that when you read that? Oh, so God can make oil, but He... No, it's all about obedience. See, in just a few chapters, the same exact prophet is going to encounter a a Syrian commander with leprosy. And he's going to run up, and he's traveled a long way and he's an important man. And Naaman's going to say, hey, I've got leprosy and I've, went from a, I've come from a long distance and so on and so forth. And Gehazi is going to say, Elisha said for you to go down to the Jordan and dunk seven times. And he's going to say, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard of. He's going to get in his chariot and he's going to start riding away. Hmm. Sounds like the same thing to me. The God who can heal leprosy in an instant doesn't just heal it. He says, dunk seven times. The God that makes oil appear out of thin air doesn't just make oil appear out of thin air. He says, go get the vessels. Now, I'm just saying, you just come to your own conclusion here. What do you think happens in the life of the person who is so desperately wanting some answers, wanting some some way for God to help them get out of this situation, but they aren't obeying the things that they are already given to them, but they want God to fix the problem. In other words, in other words, don't you don't you see all the time widows in this situation who need oil and are in this exact situation? And God says, just go get all the empty vessels you can, and He'll start filling them up. And they don't. They just want the oil to just start pouring right out of the ceiling. I mean, do I have to really break this down? 
Do, do you have to take this principle and bring it right on into uh, the marriage problems we see today? The husband can't get along with the wife. The wife can't get along with the husband. You sit down with them and you go, well, here's what the Scripture says. Here's what the Scripture says you do. Here's what the Scripture says that a husband ought to, uh, the way he ought to treat his wife. Here's what the Scripture says about the way a wife ought to respond to a husband. Well, we want our marriage fixed, but, but we can't do that. Oh, so what you mean is you want oil, but you won't go get the vessel. You want to be healed of leprosy, but you won't dunk in the river seven times. Exactly. See, everyone wants obedient children, but it doesn't work like that. You know why? Because you have to do the hard work. And even if you do the hard work, you're not guaranteed what's going to happen on the other side. And so you know what everyone does? They just take a shortcut. And then they wonder why. Well, what happened? You don't get the oil without the pot. Naaman dies of leprosy unless he dunks in the river. It's not that God can't. It's that that's not how God works. And if you want to engage with God, if you want to have a relationship with God, you need to know how He works. He uses what you have around you. And He rescues you through, if you could just get this, stick it on your mirror, on your dashboard. God rescues through obedience. Every time. You can take it to the bank. You read the Scripture. And every time, God God doesn't walk up to the tax collector and say, you're saved. He didn't walk up to the tax collector in a tree and say, you're saved. What did he do? He walked up and said, follow me. They get up, they push aside the tax collector's desk and they follow him. They come down out of the tree. But what if they stay in the tree? What if they don't follow? Don't you see? Rescue comes through obedience. If you, if you are in a place in your life and you don't know what to do and you don't know where to go and you don't, then listen to me. Please. Do what you know to do. Open the Word of God and do what it says. Go to someone who knows more about it than you and just say, listen, I gotta confess. I don't know the scripture like I should. Help me. What does the Scripture say I need to do in this situation? And then when they show you, do exactly what it says. Even if it makes no sense at all. Even if you know God has the power to make the whole world drown in oil if He wants to. If He says, go get empty vessels, go get empty vessels. If He says, love your wife like Christ loved the church, figure out how to do that. Don't tell me she won't let you. You can't figure it out. You can't do it. You don't know how to. No. Get it done. Rescue comes through obedience. And we just... We say, God, I don't understand. It doesn't make sense. Hmm. So what do we do? We make excuses. We, for example, we come up to a situation in our life and we... No, we ought to tell the truth, but we don't tell the truth. And the way we justify not telling the truth is we say, well, I didn't tell the truth because I knew they wouldn't believe me anyway. Hmm. Well, that works. Or we don't ask for forgiveness because we don't think the person's going to accept our request. You see, we justify disobedience and then we wonder why the rescue is not there. We don't pray because we're not sure God's going to listen. I'm just telling you, don't act like you don't say these things. I hear it. People say, I just struggle praying. Why do you struggle? Well, I don't think God's hearing me. I'm like, okay. But at the end of the day, yes, I can show you a thousand different ways that God says he hears you. When you pray. If you're his, he hears you. He assures us of that. But is that the issue? Here's all that matters. Does the Bible say pray? Period. End of discussion. Why are we talking about what are all these other things? If it says pray, pray. Right? That's how rescue comes. You see, it's, it, it appears to me 
that so many people are literally drowning in need of rescue. And the, the life ring is right next to them and they just keep hitting, pushing it away, pushing it away. And they're screaming for help and they're just pushing it away and pushing it away and pushing it away. And it's right there. Obey. Obey. Mark chapter 1, verse 32. At evening, when the sun had set, the Scripture says, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. Now, I just want you to think about this for a second. Who's Jesus healing as we read the gospel accounts of his life? Is Jesus walking around looking for demon-possessed people? Is he... You know, walking around calling for all, all the demon-possessed people, all the blind people, all the sick people. Come on, I'll be here at 10 o'clock in the morning, so you be here, and if you want healing, you show up. Is that what we see? You don't ever see that. Who's getting healed? Everybody who comes to Him. Every person that comes to Him gets healing, right? But what about the people that stay home? Where is the story of the person? Well, Jesus walked through the town and the guy at home watching the Super Bowl got healed. It's not in there. It's not in there. Why? Because rescue comes through obedience. Mark chapter 1, verse 40. Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Hmm. There you go. Don't you see? Now, how many lepers are there? I don't know, but I can tell you this. About a hundred times more than what we see, where are all the other lepers? You know where they are? Dying of leprosy. But this guy comes to him. Remember the ten that come to Jesus? Remember? Ten lepers come to Jesus. All ten of them, they come up to him. Jesus says, go and show yourself to the priest. One stops, they all take off, one stops, turns around, comes back and thanks Jesus for what he's done. And Jesus says, go your way, you've been, you've been made healed, you've been made whole, you've been saved. Where are the other nine? Dead. You see, the, the thing about it is, is Jesus doesn't work the way we work. His ways aren't our ways, but you know what? You can know His ways. You can, and that's the thing. It's, it's just because it's not the way we do things, it doesn't mean that, uh, you can't, that it's some mysterious thing. The scripture is there for us to see and understand. All right, last thing, verse six, and then we're done. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there's not another vessel. So the oil ceased. So God works. He works wherever there is an available vessel. In other words, God, how many vessels did God fill? As many as were available to be filled. Did God fill, did God run out of oil? No, she ran out of pots. God would have filled a million pots if she had a million pots. The question is not, go. he didn't say go get four, go get ten, go get twenty. He just said go get pots and bring them to me. And guess what? All the pots that she brought, he filled. Now, are we working that into our heart? Are you, are you applying that into your life right now? What, is that, what does that principle look like? Well, would you like to see God do something great through you? And if the answer is yes, then the very first thing my, my, that comes to my mind is, are you available? And then if the next answer is yes, then my next question is, well, how available are you? So if you, if you say, God, I want you to use me. I want you to work in my life. I'm available. Okay, how available are you? I'm available one hour a week. Well, you know what? You're going to get one hour a week of oil. Why to get quiet? I'm just trying to help you here. This is just a simple uh, law of, of, of the way God works. How available are you? 
In other words, when Jesus says, how available are you? He's saying, well, how, how great do you want to be used? I mean, if you bring me one, I'll fill one. If you bring me ten, I'll fill ten. If you bring me a thousand, I will fill a thousand. In other words, this morning, that was what was so important to me about this morning, is I didn't want, I didn't, I didn't want you to look up here at some guy who's going to plant a church somewhere and just think, you know, well, there's this guy and he's just a church planner and that's his thing in life. No. He's just a dad. He's just a husband. He's just a regular guy that said, you know what, God, I'm all the way available. I'm all available. And God said, okay, come on. You know why God's not doing great things all over the place all the time in everybody's life? I mean, think about this. Just think logically about what you see around you in Christianity. If the scripture is true, which we know it is, and if the truth is, is that every person who is born again to a living hope in Jesus Christ, at salvation, the love of God is shed abroad in their heart. Is there more shed abroad in one heart than another heart? Is there more Holy Spirit in one life than another life? Could it possibly be true that every single person right in here today has the exact same amount of Holy Spirit in your life? Exactly. That there's no one in here that has more Holy Spirit than someone else. No one in here that has more potential in God than someone else. Well, then why is it so skewed? Why does God do such great things in such few people? You know what I think? I think we got a bunch of one-pot Christians. They got the pot, and they're like, that's what I want. I want one pot of oil. And that's what you get. And see, you make yourself available to every other thing, and guess what? That's what you get. But you wheel up in here, with a couple 55-gallon drums, and I'll tell you what, God will fill them. He'll fill them. Psalm 51. The Scripture says, For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifice of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. You see, when someone comes to the Lord, And they say, God, I'm here. I'm available. Use me. And you know what? There's no strings attached. I mean, I I could just go on and on and on about all these delusional ideas that people have. Oh, I want God to use me. And here's how I want God to use me. Forget it. Just forget it. I don't even want to have that conversation. I want to serve. And as soon as the word but comes out of their mouth, I turn my ears off. I want to serve, but forget it. Just forget it. Just take your pot and go home. That's not how it works. You know what? I bet you God wants you to work right there where you said but. Pastor, I want to serve the Lord. What's, what's, what's some available ways I can serve the Lord? But I don't want to work with small children. Forget it. But I don't want to, you know, I, I can only work on, forget it. I mean, all you really want is a one pot of oil. And you know what? Where, who wants to drown in it? Who wants to just drink it in? Who wants to look around the house and have so much oil that in the midst of what was a catastrophe five minutes ago, your life is so just running over with the blessing of God. He says, now here, take what I've given you and go and solve your problem. You know what her problem was? Debt. That was her problem. He said, here, debt. Now listen, if you own everything in the universe, debt, oh, you're worried about debt? I'll handle that. You just go, 
You just be all available. Get all the pots in here. He takes care of that. He says, now go pay off all your debt. Now you don't. Now all the, the extra live on that. Live on that. But you know what? We live in a culture where we can take our pot. We can come on Sunday morning. We can get it filled and then we can go home. We can watch a football game. And that's just the truth. And so again, I'm back to the same thing. How is it that everyone gets the same Holy Spirit? And yet we're amazed when God does something great in in a rare occasion in someone's life. Shouldn't life in the body of Christ be just a random, continual, never-ending barrage of, of just unbelievable acts and power of God, one after another, after another, after another. Shouldn't that be what it is? Well, why isn't it? Well, I think this widow right here will answer our questions. I think this little story right here will teach us everything we need to know about Connecting with a God who doesn't work the way we work. See, he, he, he fills what we offer. What we're, what we're available. That's, that's what he fills. So it says in verse 7 that she came and she told the man of God. And he said, now go and sell the oil and pay the debt. And you and your sons live on the rest. You know what I find? I find that when... When a person comes to God in desperation and they cry out to God, when they respond to the Lord in obedience, God gives always more than they ever expected and more than they asked for. All she wanted was to just get out of the jam she was in right now. And God solved all of her problems. He took care of the problem she had with debt and he took care of the problem she had tomorrow, the next day, the next day, and the next day. He took care of all of it. He said, listen, I'll solve it all. But that's what he does when someone is available, when someone offers all that they are and says, here I am. No, no buts. I'm here. God, listen, God knows whatever gifts you bring to the table. He's fully aware of that. I'm pretty sure the scripture says while he was knitting you together, while he was weaving you together, while he was, while he was fusing all the molecules that, that now went together to make you exactly the way. I mean, he was there. He decided what color your eyes would be, your hair, how tall you would be, everything about you. I'm pretty sure he's familiar with the gifts you bring to the table. He doesn't need to know what you can and can't do. All he wants to know is, are you available? Are you, are you bringing all the pots and you're saying, here I am, God, fill me. I'm crying out to you. I understand that you're going to use what I already have because that's the way you work. That rescue is going to come through obedience. I mean, these are just such simple, ordinary truths that go so awry. In our culture, when things get hard, man, we do the worst thing we could possibly do. We start running around trying to fix it. As if the world revolved around our ability to come up with a solution. No. What we need to do is stop and say, Lord, This hasn't caught you by surprise. I'm just going to walk by faith. You know what? You know what self-sufficiency is? It's living by sight. That's what it is. If you can figure your way out of it, then you you don't have a God-sized problem. I mean, if you're hungry, in other words, if this widow's hungry and she has food in the cabinet, then she's just ignorant. Right? So if there's a problem that you got that you can solve right now, then solve it. 
But when you got a problem you can't solve, you don't know where to, you don't know what to do, then you just take, take her little diagram right here and just follow it and watch what happens. You know, what if, what if she would have said, you know, Elijah, I, uh, I'm, I'm just not in the, I'm not, in, uh, I'm not in the jar. See, I don't feel good. I don't, I don't, I'm not in the mood to, to collect jars today. I don't, I don't feel like collecting jars. You know, can I do it tomorrow? Let me ask you a question. Is it possible in the sovereignty of God that there's somebody who is here this morning that God would have used this message tonight to absolutely revolutionize their life and circumstances and lead them right to where they need to be. But they're not here. You ever think about that? We like to say God's got here everyone who He wanted here. Well, that's only partially true. There were people here this morning that this truth right here would have been the moment in time that they would have gotten clarity and been able to move forward through their excruciating difficulty. And they're not here. So let me just press on you a little bit. You're here. Praise God. I love you. But are you carrying your one jar? Are you saying, God, I'm here. Thank you for filling my jar. And God is filling your jar. But what you don't know is that He would fill every jar that you could bring. He would fill it. Everyone. Everyone. Now, if we just learn this principle, how might it transform our prayer life? How would you begin to pray if when you could see no evidence of God in your life, you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that He was there? If you knew that God could fill every jar that you could find, you'd pray totally different. You'd start praying crazy prayers. You'd start believing God for audacious things. And all I'm saying is, whoever the greatest Christian person you've ever known is, you got the same Holy Spirit that they got. Let's stand, bow our heads, and close our eyes. Father, we're grateful for you tonight. We thank you, Lord, for your word, and we praise you for giving us direction and wisdom. And Lord, I, I thank you for this little nobody widow, Lord, that would have just disappeared into anonymity with all the other widows of her time. But Lord, here we are, thousands and thousands of years later, looking into the very heart of the God of the universe through her story, learning so much from what she did. All because, Lord God, she knew what we so oftentimes know, but she did what we failed to do. And Lord, we're grateful tonight. We're grateful. And Lord, I just want you to know that, God, I pray with everything in me that, Lord, even if, even if the world was burning down right now, even if bombs were raining out of the sky, even if a plague was barreling across our countryside, Lord, no matter what was going on, that we'd rather be right here 
with you. That there's nothing so pressing, so urgent, so important that we wouldn't just want to sit and think and ponder on how great and awesome and mighty you are. Lord, thank you for being so willing to do so much. And God, I pray that we wouldn't second guess you, that we wouldn't short short circuit your plan and purpose, Lord. God, help us to not be one-pot Christians. But Lord God, to bring all we can find and you'll fill them. You'll fill them because that's just who you are. We're grateful tonight. In Jesus' name, we'll have a time of invitation.